We're going to go through Philippians, and we started off in Acts because Acts is where you get introduced to the Philippians. We know how Paul planted that church in Philippi. He got there and he met Lydia and, and her family, and then he got uh, stripped and beaten and thrown in prison, and then he met the jailer, and his, the jailer and his family um, became Christians, and that's how the church in Philippi was planted. We talked about that last week. So when he left, there's two believing families in Philippi. Well, that was during his second missionary journey. On his third missionary journey, they went back through Macedonia a couple times. This is in Acts 20. And that probably means that he was in Philippi because it's the, the major city there. After that, Paul and the Philippians, they continued to keep in touch. So as the church grew and, and changed, he stayed in touch with them. They stayed close. And the Philippians had sent Paul money um, at least a couple of times. Uh, they also sent a, a guy named Epaphroditus as sort of their representative to go and encourage Paul with what he was going through. So there's, they're, they're keeping in touch. They know what's going on with each other. And there's a relationship between them. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But first, the traditional view the one that makes the most sense is that Paul wrote this letter, Philippians, from a Roman prison cell. So way back in the day, something you need to understand about prison. Anyone been to prison? Don't raise your hand. Just kidding. Okay. What you need to understand about prison back then was that it wasn't for punishment. What could it then be for, Right? it's to hold you for your trial. So it was, if you were awaiting trial, you would go to prison to await your trial. They didn't sentence you to prison. They just killed you or took something from you. Do you know what, yeah, I'm, I'm not even kidding, right? So it was, prison wasn't like what prison is today. Paul wasn't in prison because he'd been found guilty of something. He was in prison because he was suspected of something and he was waiting for his chance to be vindicated or to, to explain himself. Uh, and what had happened back in uh, Acts 24, Acts tells us the history of, of the church, the early church. Paul was preaching near Ephesus and his preaching started a riot. I love it when that happens. So he's preaching the gospel and people went nuts and they started this riot and that landed him in prison and so he's in this Roman prison, and he, write, and he wrote probably a couple letters, and this is one of them, the letter to the Philippians. I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 1, starting right there at the beginning of verse 1. In the chair that's under your Bibles, it starts on page 980. Uh, if you've got a Bible, get it out, open it up. We're going to be spending some time in the first half of uh, Philippians chapter 1. It's also in the bulletin, and it'll be up on the slides. And I don't hear any pages fluttering. Oh, yeah, who fluttered that? Was that you? I saw that. All right. This is Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So just some observations on the front end. We're going to be spending a few weeks reading this letter. We ought to know who wrote it. We ought to know who they're writing to. Amen? Because it matters. Because it matters. So who's writing this letter? Paul and Timothy. 
Okay, Paul and Timothy are writing this letter, and who are they writing it to? To all the saints who are saints. Okay, so saints, and I put this in 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 your outline. Saints in Greek is the word hagios, and it means holy ones. It means uh, sacred. It means Christians, people who are declared holy by Christ. So it's talking about all of the Christians. It's not talking about particular saints. It's talking about the Christians. So that's why, Logan, if you go back to the, the passage, that's why it says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, all the Christians in Philippi, to all the Christians of the city with the overseers and deacons. And there is a biblical framework for leadership in the church. There are two offices for leaders. Overseers are also sometimes called elders, are also sometimes called pastors and deacons. And the key difference between them is that um, elders, overseers, pastors have responsibility to teach. Deacons have more of a responsibility for uh, people care and, and ministry um, specifics. So um, to all of the Christians in Philippi, including the elders and the overseers, the pastors and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember that they know Paul and Timothy because they've met Paul and Timothy a few times. So they know them. There's a relationship between them. Okay. So uh, the, the blanks that are right there are that Paul was writing to the congregation as a whole and their leaders. So he's writing to all of them. And sometimes you in the Bible, you'll find a letter that's just written to the, the elders of a church. For example, Paul's letters to Timothy. They're just written to Timothy. Uh, Paul's, letters, uh, Paul's letter to, I think, Colossians is really just written to the, the congregation. I might be wrong about that. Um, but you always need to understand who he's writing to. So that's who he's writing to. He's addressing the letter to all of them. And I say he instead of they because this letter is really coming from Paul. It says from Paul and Timothy, but you should imagine Timothy sitting outside Paul's jail cell, writing down what Paul wants to say to the Philippians. So it's really them together, but, it, but quickly in verse three, it shifts to I. So he's saying I instead of saying we because it's really coming um, from Paul primarily. Okay, so let's read that starting with verse three. I, that's Paul, thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, looking at that, can you tell how much he loves them? He says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. So every time I think about you, every time I remember you, I give thanks to God always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So every time I think about you guys, I thank God and I pray for you. And my prayer is full of joy because you've been partners with me in the gospel. Their relationship is not just a friendship. 
They're partners. They're partners in ministry. And then in, uh, in verse 6, down at the bottom, I'm sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What good work? What good work? It's the Great Commission. That Jesus who began this work, this ministry, this mission in you, that he's going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. What is that? What is the day of Jesus Christ? When are things going to be brought to completion? When Jesus comes back. So Paul says, man, every time I think about you guys and every remembrance of you, I thank God. And I, and I pray uh, joy full of prayer because of how, how close we've been in the gospel. And I know this, I know this, that when Jesus comes back, that when Jesus Christ comes back, I'm excited to find out what he did in your church and what he did in the world through your church. I think that's just so amazing. I try to think about, well, I think about the Philippians and I think this first church in Europe, in Greece, what did God do in the world through the Christians there? Like crazy stuff, amazing. And I try to think about Monterey and I think about when, when Jesus comes back and we can sort of trace, trace the the, what's happened from Monterey Baptist and how those things have gone out into the world. This church has missionaries in Northern Africa right now, long-term missionaries in Northern Africa right now. How many people are being impacted by their ministry and ministries before and ministries that we've supported and faith comes by hearing and the military Bible sticks that have gone out how many people from this church have gone out and shared the gospel? How many baptisms have we had? And how many baptisms will happen because of those baptisms? And the sort of spider web of good news that has gone out into the world. When Jesus comes back, what kind of an impact will Monterey Baptist have had on the salvation landscape of history? What kind of an impact will I have had? What kind of an impact will you have had? Paul says that for the Philippians, he goes, I am sure that God's good work that's done in you when Jesus comes back, that he will have accomplished everything that he wanted to accomplish in your church, that it will be complete. I think that's so encouraging. Let's move on. We know that he's got this love. It's really apparent for the Philippians. Let's, uh, let's go to Philippians 1, verse 7, 7 and 8. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loves them. And he says, every time I think about you guys, I'm full of joy and I pray for you and I thank God for you. And I'm excited to find out 
when Jesus comes back, what he did through your church. And it's right for me to feel like this. The way that I feel about you guys, you know what? It's right and it's good because I hold you in my heart. That's not something guys normally say. Amen? Can I get a what, what? Okay. Not, normal, not a normal standard thing that you would say to someone, not a standard greeting. This is still Paul's greeting to the church. Paul is thankful for every church that he planted. I went back and I read the intro to every letter in the Bible that Paul wrote. He's thankful for all of them, but not like this. Not like this. He sees the Philippians as actively participating in ministry with him. They are partakers of grace with him when he's in prison, when he's defending the gospel, and when the gospel is being confirmed. Paul's saying, look, I'm in prison, and when I'm in prison, I feel like you're in prison with me. I feel like you're right here with me. And when I'm defending the gospel, I feel like you're defending the gospel with me. I feel like everywhere I go, that I'm not just here by myself, that I've got you guys by my side and you've got my back and we're all in this together. And so it's right for me to have this, I hold you in my heart because we're always together. We're locked in and united with each other for the gospel. For God is my witness. He's, this, he's taking an oath. This is in the form of an oath. God is my witness my mouth to God's ear, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul's love for them is more than you'd find in a simply close human relationship. Paul has a deep spiritual love for them, a spiritual affection for them. His love is, is not just emotional. Do you know what I mean? An, an, an emotion, an emotional love can make you cry. A spiritual love will make you lay down your life for somebody. I have emotional feelings watching Disney movies, but the love that I have for, for my spiritual family, it just, it's, it's not even a different color. It's, a complete, it's on a completely different scale. And that's, how, that's what Paul is talking about here. His love is obvious. He says things like, I yearn for you with the affection, all the affection of Christ Jesus, and I hold you in my heart, and I thank God every time I think about you guys. But if you dig a little bit deeper, there's something really interesting there. Because the word that in your Bible says affection, in Greek is the word splanknon which is probably the worst Greek word I've ever heard. But, and I put it, I, I put it in, your, in, your, in your bulletin, but also I wanna show you how it breaks out in how the Bible translates it. Splanknon, and if you can't tell, that in the middle says splanknon, okay? It literally means your guts. It means your heart, but it doesn't mean your metaphorical heart. It means your bowels. It means your insides. It means the blood and guts of Jesus Christ. Paul says that I yearn for you. I miss you guys. I love you with the blood and guts of Jesus. 
I hold you in my heart, but as God is my witness, I yearn for you. I have this affection for you, my very heart, my actual heart. And it's not, in this case, Paul's actual heart. If you look back at verse eight, he says, how I yearn for you with all, with all the affection, with all the blood and guts of Christ Jesus. This is a qualitatively different kind of love. His love for them is challenging. It's challenging to me because I don't know what he means necessarily by I love you with the blood and guts of Jesus. But when I think about it, it takes me, it takes me up to the cross. When I think about the blood and guts of Jesus, I go right back to the cross. And then I have to ask myself, do I love people with my heart? Yes, I do. Do I love people going all the way up to and then onto the cross? That's not a normal kind of love. That love is strong in unity. You don't want to climb up on the cross for somebody if you had any question about your unity with them. It's a love that is strong in sacrifice because you don't do that passively. You don't do that unless you're sold out. Do you know what I mean? So I love you with all of the, the blood and guts of Christ Jesus. With a love like that, Paul, if you can't tell, he really loves them. <laughs> He really loves them. He sacrificially loves them. He feels spiritually united with them. They're, they're, they're linked at the hip through the gospel. And when I'm in prison, you're in prison with me. When I'm sharing the gospel, you guys are right there with me. And I, I yearn for you. I long for you with all of the affection of Christ. And he loves them so much that he prays this joyful prayer for them, this prayer of joy. Wouldn't it be cool, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could hear that prayer? What is Paul's prayer for the Philippians? What is it? He, these people that he loves so much, that it's so deep, the spiritual love that he has for them, it's so, so, so deep. What is his prayer when he prays for them? Let's keep reading because he tells us. Philippians 1, this is verse 9. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's prayer for these people that he loves so much, that he sacrificially loves, that he feels really united to. His prayer for them is that their love may abound more and more, that they would increase in abundance of love, not just an emotional love, it's a love with knowledge and discernment. Why is that? It's not enough just to have 
love in your heart, that they would increase in love with knowledge and discernment. Why? So that you may approve what is excellent. And if you can do that, you can be pure and blameless when we meet Jesus. I don't know about you, but I suspect that you're like me. When I see Jesus face to face, when I get to heaven or he comes back, when I see Jesus face to face, um, because he's got a face and he has eyes, and when I see the, the holes in his hands, and when I see the, the look in his eye, and when I see him in his glory, when I see him in his majesty, when I see Jesus face to face, I won't be perfect, but I can be pure and blameless somehow. And that's what I want. When I see Jesus, I want to be pure and blameless. And that's what I want for all of us. So we're going to look a little bit more carefully about the three things that Paul tells us we need in order to be pure and blameless. The first one is abound in love. Abound in love. Have an abundance. Be overflowing in love. It starts with loving what's right. Love what honors God. Love Jesus. And look, I know that everyone's always preached to you, love Jesus. I'm not telling you anything new, but it starts with love Jesus. It goes on from there, but it starts with being able to say, now, while, while we live by faith, before our faith has become sight, right now in our lives, being able to say to Jesus, I love you so much that I don't care what you tell me to do. I will do anything. I love you so much just just throw me somewhere. Just give me something to do. I, I, I will do anything for you because I love you. Uh, I, I love you with my heart. I love you with my guts. I love you with my body. I love you with my mind and my strength. I love you with every single part of me. I just have this, this love for Jesus. I will do anything. I will be anything. I will go anywhere for you, Lord, for you. This love for Jesus. Abound in love. Grow in love. Show love. Abound in love. And, but once we have that love, it can't just stay as love. Because what does love do? Just this desire to just, I just love Jesus. What do I do with that? Love for Jesus. What do I do with it? If it's just love, I actually don't know. If it's just love, it is a desire. I have to know what to do. What, what do I do? That's knowledge. Once we have the love, we need to know what Jesus wants. So Paul prays that their love would overflow with knowledge. That they would also have knowledge. Because you can love Jesus all day long, but if you think that it's okay for you to... to have a bad attitude, to be rude, to, 
to take things that aren't yours and make, make up stories, to not tell the truth. You can love Jesus all you want, but unless you know how to follow him, you can't, you're not following him, right? You're not honoring him in just the love. We have to also get him right. So that's part of it's like uh, whenever I talk to Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, that's, this is what I tell them. I say, you love Jesus too, but you've made up a fake Jesus, right? You love a Jesus that's not real. You have to actually get Jesus right. That's important. And so you have this love, great. That, that love sparks in you because God loved you first. But what do you do with that? You dig into the Bible. You join a group Bible study and you try to find out what does it mean? What does it mean? I have, you know, I love vegetables, but where do they come from, right? I love Jesus, but what does he want from me? And where do I find that? I find that in scripture. I find that with God's people. You go and you, you find wise counsel and you find out, find out what Jesus wants from you so that you can be pure and blameless. Because if you love Jesus and you know what he wants, then, it's what this passage says, then you may approve what's excellent. So spend time reading the Bible, join a group Bible study, study the Bible, and what's left. He says, my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and, number three, all discernment. If you love Jesus and you know what he wants from you, but you can never tell when those situations actually come up in your life, it's like a purely academic knowledge for you and it doesn't actually show up when you're at work, you're at the mall, you're shopping, you're with your family or your friends, you're on the internet, you're on the phone. If you love Jesus and you know what he wants, but you just can never tell when you're supposed to do it. You know, is this sin? I don't know. And the devil's always playing this trick where he, he goes, yeah, lying's a sin, but not that kind of lying, right? Yeah, taking stuff, you know, that's not yours is, is not good, but no one's going to miss that, right? It's like, it's a vase, and you're like, I don't know, I think someone will miss that. Um, the devil plays these tricks where he gets us to think that the bad things aren't all that bad. Or maybe it's just me. Someone, someone tell me it's not just me. Okay, okay, thank you, thank you. We have to love Jesus so much that, that, you're, that you're willing to sacrifice anything for him. And then you go and find out what that means. And then when you find out what that means, discernment is a judgment call. Discernment is your ability to look at a situation in your life and to say, is it sin or is it not sin? And what do I do about it? What's the right thing to do? So you get in a conflict with someone. Part of this is knowing, am I, the, am I in the right? In this conflict, am I holding a position that would honor Christ? You have to love Jesus enough to care about that. You have to know what he wants in order to get the position right. And then discernment is about how do you handle it? 
Because being right and being a meanie about it, that's not okay. So how do, you, how do you be right about something but honor Jesus with the way that you're right about it? How do you respond? How do you, how do you live it out? Discernment ultimately comes from the Holy Spirit and your ability to discern what God is doing in your life is the ultimate mark of maturity in your life. But learning to hear from the Holy Spirit clearly is something that we're always working on. You can seek counsel. It's a good place to start. First John in the Bible tells us to test those thoughts, to test the spirits. When you, when you have a thought, is it coming from Jesus or is it not? You test it. Is it coming from the Bible? Does it honor Jesus? Is this going to make him happy? Does it bear the fruits of the Spirit? That's discernment. That's discernment. And if we can do that, if we can love Jesus with knowledge and discernment, then we can approve what's excellent. Guys, that means that when Jesus moves in our lives, when we see him move, we can know that it's him instead of wondering we can reject sin and we can embrace God's will. And if you live a life that's embracing God's will, that's what Paul means when he says that we can be pure and blameless. You're never gonna be perfect, but if you love Jesus with all your heart, with all your guts, if you know what he wants for you and you're growing in discernment, and you're able to see those things happening in your life, then you can follow God's will. And when something happens in church and it's good and it's honoring to Jesus, you will see it and you will know it and you will say, that is good. Maybe it's not my favorite thing, like donut holes. <laughs> Nobody in this church likes donut holes, found that out. But is it honoring to Jesus? Maybe not, but maybe so, but maybe so. And discernment is how we figure that out, amen? So you love Jesus, not, not what you want. You know what he wants, not what you want. And then you put those things together and you figure out how to live it out. And then that's what makes us pure and blameless when we see Jesus face to face. Let's pray. Lord, we... Lord, we want to say that we love you with all of our heart and all of our guts. And God, we want more than that. We want to be able to say that we love your things, that we love your people, that we love your ways, that we love your holiness. God, we want to be able to say that we love your, your church, that we love our neighbors, God, that we love our enemies with, 